I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About water cooler talk. About bosses. About slimming black robes. About inner sanctums. About unexpected, but still very expected, genitalia. About inappropriate gifts at work. About your company being like your family. About Janice and HR. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, we are continuing our monster march with a novella by Kate Pryor called Love, Laugh, Lich. Um, so this was my pick. Mm-hmm. And I picked it because it was a novella, because it was a lich, which I don't even know what a lich is. <laughs> and because uh, the tagline is these sex magic rituals aren't OSHA compliant. It also has a great cover art collage that feels like it's poking fun at self-published cover art collages. It's true. Uh, It just seemed like, it seemed magically self-aware. It seems magically self-aware and is like playing on a bunch of different things. It's great. That's a great cover. Absolutely 10 out of 10. There are quite a few demon romances, and I feel like this is kind of in line with those, perhaps. Um, because a demon can kind of be whatever, and so can a lich, apparently. Which is also, like, demon adjacent, because he's the Dark Lord Sovin. He performs dark rituals and has dark powers. So, like, I'm not exactly sure how a lich is different than a demon. Uh, but you know what? I don't need to know those intricacies for this novella. Yeah, that's true. This is not a novella that requires you to have a lot of background knowledge. Regardless, I did a lot of in-depth Googling of what is a lich. <laughs> I'm so glad you did because I was like, cool, onward, <laughs> don't need anything else. So liches actually originate in pulp fantasy fiction, and mm. a lich used to be a word for a corpse. Ooh. And in fact, the gates on cemeteries were called, where they used to carry the coffins through specifically, were called lich gates. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And they came to typically mean like some kind of skeletal ghoul. Mm. Um, but Kate Pryor, she's creative. She's not going to be bound by any previous definition of lich. And don't you find that when a creature has like a tractable pedigree that it feels easier to throw it out the window? Like it to me it feels easier to like completely remake something that has its origins in like a book from the 1930s than it is to like remake a creature from folklore. Sure. I think that's a really good point. I would say when I was envisioning what you were talking about in terms of the lich, um, very much the ghost of Christmas future, like, you know, death itself, hooded, cloaked. And that's definitely how this lich is first presented. Even Um, on the cover. He's even even got like a skeletal face. 
Yeah, and I loved that. So you have the setup, right? Like the stasis, like this is a normal lich. And then our author turns it on its head and opens beneath the cloak for something different, which, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Like you can do whatever you want in this space because it, the rules aren't established in the same way that everyone freaked the fuck out when um, Stephanie Myers was like, vampires are sparkly. That's why they can't go in the sun. People were like, no. I'm like, they're all made up. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get into that, I, I suppose we should read the back of the book. <clears throat> Some people have monsters for a boss, but not everyone has an undead necromancer lord at the office. Lily has been the lich's secretary ever since his evilness took over the company. She loves her job, but she's got some questions about her boss. like. What's under that cloak of ever-billowing? Her wondering intensifies when one day the lich needs something from her that isn't just scheduling appointments, but a shiver. He needs it for a spell, but it feels like it crosses a line from their usual workplace banter. After her contributions to his dark rituals become more than OSHA-compliant, sex magic and triple cocks oh my, she starts to contemplate whether the Lich Lord returns her feelings, or still only sees her as a secretary. Lily may have given him her body, but he never asked for her heart. Love Laugh Lich is an MF office monster romance with light comedic elements, roughly 17,000 words. I like self-published e-publishing, the like little addendums. I like the way that you read it, too. Like, the disclaimer, I'm like, <laughs> this penis pump will make you amazing. Please don't use after 8 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, so the first thing that made me laugh out loud was when I didn't read the back of the book. I, lit I just kind of read the title and the tagline and decided that this would be a book that I would want to read. So I was surprised when her name was Lily, and for some reason that made me laugh out loud. And it's one of those, like, references that could be a reference, right? Like, lilies are associated with death. But it's also, like, a very cute name. Mm -hmm. It's in the top 20. Of cute names. Mm -hmm. For baby girls in the last five years. Or, or just selected names. Or is there specifically a cute name list? If there's specifically a cute name list. There is specifically a. What is the rubric for a cute name? I don't. What are any of the rubrics for baby names these days? They're like unique baby names that aren't sky and river. And I was like, okay. Or like <laughs> names from famous fantasy novels that are like secondary and tertiary characters. And I'm like, that's not a secondary character, but okay. Like the lists have no rubrics. It's, they're just. It's the wild, wild west, baby list. You want to make 10 bucks? Make a baby list. How do you make 10 bucks off of a baby list? I think it's like a listicle thing. You're just like, hey, Romper, here's a baby list. If you like plaid, here are 10 baby names. And they're like, oh, great. Here's $10? Yeah. If only it were that easy. Do you know what I think is like, <laughs> I, I think like what is so devastating is that the person who wrote those baby list names wrote a pitch just like every other freelancer in the world, submitted it, waited for feedback, went through the same process that like everyone who gets published in the New Yorker goes through. It's just they were 
trying to get published in, what do you call it, romper? 21st century capital, man. <laughs> anyway, yes, I thought Lily was a great uh, pun and immediately made me think of the graveyard. And since the cover already had me there, um, I was ready for that. We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch just uh visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons What do you want to digest first in this little novella? What do you want to digest first? We could just get it out of the way and talk about his genitalia. Yeah, well, I think we've been circling that the lich uh, is not, in fact, a skeletal ghoul. He's something much weirder, though, which whenever we talk about, like, Stephanie Meyer, the fact that the vampires sparkle in the daylight somehow makes them less weird. But that's not the direction this book takes. And I like, I don't know. Should I ruin it? Is it ruin? I don't think it's ruined. I think we should talk about it. And this is what the def- the book description put me in mind of. If you can envision the Lion Prince John from the animal Disney version of Robin Hood and the forest guardian monster from princess mononoke and like amalgamize those two cartoon creatures uh and then give it a very specific penis a very specific penis that is both surprising and unsurprising uh you would have this creature see i almost i thought of the face from the line, the cowardly line in the cinematic Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Nice, that's a good one. There's also like leatheriness that I think is very present in the lion's face in Wizard mm-hmm. of Oz. Mm-hmm. That's described. The book says his face is almost lion-like, or maybe it's bear-like, and I'm just thinking of lions because of the sheer volume of his hair, fur, and a rack of four large horns. Mm-hmm. He has a stupidly broad chest, a toned, Mm -hmm. leathery torso, Mm -hmm. uh, and he's very hairy, and he's not wearing pants. She goes on to say, I don't know what to make of what I see, but that's not like any human penis I've ever seen, (laughs) or any kind, really. There's a lot going on there, (laughs) and I'm half caught between a warm spike of curiosity to explore and the sheer confusion of why on earth there would be so many. And that's when we're first introduced to it. We go on to find out that it has like a regular middle penis. It's got a little spindly top appendage with a sucker on it. 
And then what I imagine is a, because it talks about it being like po pokey, like a crab claw <laughs> on the bottom. It's like a weird trident situation. And I don't think it takes much imagination to uh, speculate on the purpose of all three of these appendages. Although he does use them in less obvious ways throughout the novel. But yeah, you know, the sucker one is for a clit. The big one is for a vagina and the pokey trident in the back with serrated edges is some sort of anal plug. It doesn't have serrated edges. He also, <laughs> he, uses, he uses all three for clitoris stuff and all three for vaginal stuff as well. Um, and two of them for butt stuff. And it is two of them for butt and stuff. And it is the two that you expect. Yes. Well, it's the two that you probably expect in this situation. I don't want to speculate on what anyone's assumptions are right now. But, like, I appreciated that. I think people, you know, don't get creative with sex organs very often in these books. I agree. And I think it's a missed opportunity. So I was glad that this novella took the opportunity. Yeah. Is it poetic and... Uh, totally riveting the way the sex organs in Anna Aguirre's strange love is no no but it's also a much shorter book <laughs> it's true it's a much shorter book also I think like the setting is doing a lot for the sex scenes like the organs are like you they're remarkable in the sense that you remark on them uh but I think the setting itself is also doing a lot of the heavy lifting. The setting is uh, brilliant. I, I'm going to say it's brilliant because it's an office setting. And when you're in an office, you tend to, at the workplace, have this like totally separate, discreet existence from, at least if you're good at it, I think, from the rest of your life. And... It's a place where you don't dress as you would normally dress. It's a place where you don't talk freely. It's a place where you don't think too freely. It's a place where you even like have to covertly make plans with the other people there to see each other outside of work so that you can then talk about work. It's a strange place. And our novel opens with Lily being forced into the general zeitgeist of her workplace. She has to work at a cubicle because there was recently a terrorist attack on the Lich that blew up her portion of his office. She had a desk in front of his office, as many a personal assistant does. What I think is the brilliance of this setting is that you know when you go into the Lich's lair... Right when you cross the threshold from Lily's desk, it's a dungeon and it's got potions on the walls and like mm -hmm. stone floors. It has a marble slab for whatever kind of sacrifices need to be made. We find out that when the Lich Lord took over at her company, many virgin sacrifices were taken literally, right? And that's the thing, like, in the workplace, there's a lot of double entendre and metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. Living the dream, mm -hmm. <laughs> for example. And that kind of gets like played with in the language of this book. For instance, she says, 
whenever people leave work on a Friday afternoon, she's like, so everyone re- return to the miasma of despair. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's literally people leave the office and enter a miasma or whatever a literal version of that is, or if it's just like, the old miasma of despair. <laughs> and it also, I think, feels very true for our, you know, we're living through these really intensely violent, uncertain times. And so is Lily. But work still carries on. You still have your work friendships. You still have a water cooler. You still have to, even the Lich Lord needs his appointments rearranged. And I think that, like, the setting of the workplace creates not only, like, opportunity for, you know, a comedy of manners, which feels a little obvious. It also creates this kind of rich commentary. There are very self-aware jokes, like, there is no ethical consumption under the Dark Lorddom. Um, which is very self-aware. Like, there's not a lot of question of, like, what, <laughs> like, what are the Lich Lord's intentions, right, with controlling this corporate entity? Like, you know they're not good. They're not good. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's so great about Lily as a character is that even while Earth itself has been taken over by the dark corporation of liches, <laughs> uh, She's doing really well. Uh, She got a promotion. She likes her job. She's good at her job. Um, And she finds a lot of, like, personal fulfillment in it. And I think that's also such an excellent discussion of, like, how things can often feel now where it's, like, you know, I can't tell you how many times during the pandemic where we, you know, like, it felt so lucky to have a job at all Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, just to continue to succeed at it was a weird feeling, especially when, like, there is a miasma of despair and, like, this isn't like this for everyone. But, like, I know a lot of people who would say things like, I don't know, like, 2020 is a trash fire, but, like, I did okay and I did okay in these ways and I felt really fulfilled or I, you know, did get a promotion at my job. And I think, like, that comment is so, as you say, self-aware, but it's also very funny. Lily's likable, um, even in the way that she doesn't like being in her cubicle. Yeah. Um, And, like, the normal sort of annoyances of working in a public space that is meant to pretend to be private, but, like, she can hear her coworkers talking and, like, you know, playing with their pens, and she's irritated by that. And, like, yeah, that's fucking irritating. And, like, the cubicle wall doesn't do anything, especially when somebody, like, pokes their head over, like, a gopher, and they're like, hey, Lily, what are you doing after work? Um, And this book is really good at that. It's really good at the humor of that. It literalizes the fact that, like, people being called on to return to work really was a question of life and death and really truly showed a disregard for human life by a lot of corporations and that is literalized but also you pointed out there are people who became more successful even like small people i don't mean just like the billionaires but there are people who became more successful over the course of the pandemic and work and lily herself is one of those people she was organized to be one of the uh virgin sacrifices and then she was able to memorize something and the lich was like okay well you can be my personal assistant 
because you are detail-oriented. And she's really made the most of it. And she's about to make even more of it. She's about to make a meal of it. (laughs) It's so difficult because it's like, there's something about literalizing it. Like, he is literally an evil lich lord that somehow makes the corporate daddy stuff seem less icky to me like the fact that we're this confrontational of it allows me to more easily be charmed whenever he's like awkward yep because he doesn't know how to talk around her yeah he doesn't know how to human and so like one of the things that this uh, novella brought up for me like the tropes that it's like leaning pretty heavily on are like billionaire daddy tropes as you said And, like, one of the ways that their massive power differential, his of an ancient lich (laughs) and hers of a personal assistant would be virgin sacrifice um, are made is that he's very awkward around humans and he is socially awkward. Like, he's aware of it and he doesn't like it. And so she tries to ease his way for him as part of her job, but also because she likes him. She genuinely likes her boss. And I don't know if I would say it's leaning on corporate billionaire daddy so much as it's, like, pushing it. Like, it's never letting you forget that, like, he's all-powerful. And we get this instance she finds out that <laughs> there are it also speaks to like how little we can even explain our own jobs when we work in the corporate world she's been making these agency bookings for so long and she never really knew what the people who were being sent by the agency were for but they were you know to be used in spells and little things like a sigh a first kiss a whisper were being like extracted from these people and like condition and that's how this terrorist comes in to blow up the corporation unsuccessfully they are murdered uh, and that's what actually destroys uh lily's desk is that they are exploded into viscera um by the lich so we have this like very literal like we know what his powers are at this point we've actually seen him extract like a, a a very personal part of being a human and make it into like a potion, like a physical thing. We also know that he exploded another human being into viscera. And then we're going to get another billionaire business daddy follow-up to that where she arrives at her desk and it's a full bouquet of beautiful lilies with a card from her boss, which is a classic trope. Yeah, like a bouquet that's bigger than her torso, just like fronding over her desk, like it's bigger than her desk. And like, (laughs) yeah, typical billionaire daddy move. But in an untypical billionaire daddy romance move, Lily's first concern is about her job security. Because Mm -hmm. if he's able to order flowers for himself, her job security is in question and it makes her uncomfortable. And it's not only makes her uncomfortable because of a sense of, like, this is my livelihood, but she's one of those people who's come to identify strongly with her job and get a sense of satisfaction out of being needed. And this is not subtext. This is the text Mm -hmm. text of her thinking through what this means. And her first thought isn't, you know, like, oh, it's inappropriate for my boss to send me flowers. It's that i didn't know he could do that if he can do that does he have someone else who can do this stuff 
Right, because like I've always done this kind of stuff for him. Now I think that yeah, that's like one of the brilliant moves of this book, where it's like it's so self-aware of capital at all times that it's like the precarity of her position as the personal assistant of a lich uh-huh. is literalized in all sorts of weird ways. Yes, not the least of which is the stone slab where he conducts human <laughs> sacrifices in his inner sanctum um but also this other very like normal thing right this very pedantic little thing oh shit if he can use a phone and look up a florist fuck like what am i gonna do there's also something like very uh there is something subtextual about the idea of something as ridiculous as of a, as a dark lich lord ordering flowers yeah it humanizes him and it's also like it's too much like he doesn't get that it's too much right away he's like proud of himself and then they have a weird little like fight about it but he doesn't know that they're fighting it's a passive aggressive (laughs) argument um right there's uh... (laughs) but like liches don't need passive aggression it's, it's, there's a wonderful, when we first meet the lich, he comes drifting into the office in his dark cloak that feels hollow and deep and empty. And he comes over to her cubicle, which is currently in the accounting department, her temporary housing. And everyone gets real stiff, like, look busy, the boss is here. And it makes him uncomfortable and it makes her uncomfortable. And I think it just set, like, such a perfect cadence for the rest of the book. Like, there's going to be this ridiculous thing, but here's this really relatable circumstance where when your boss is near your cubicle, it's like, I I personally become frozen and can only pretend to clack on my keyboard. Yeah, this book is really disarming. I'm, it's, I'm struggling because, like, I really don't want to give the book away. I found this book to be laugh out loud funny, and mm-hmm. I don't want to give away. And I also found it to be, like, deeply charming. The other coworkers that we meet are this guy from accounting who has his cubicle next to Lily, and they strike up a new friendship, and then Lily's actual friend, who is Janice, who works in HR – um and also a very realistic depiction of hr where hr is actually working in the best interest of the company and janice is working in the best interest of lily well if you don't want to give it away that's fine no i do well i mean we 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 do spoilers here um because yeah like janice is more concerned about the lich company like in the sense of following those protocols but she is worried about lily and i thought that was a nice another like human connection this book is incredibly or this novella is incredibly human in all of those affects which i think makes it so strong and so funny it's so relatable yeah and i feel like the dialogue is genuinely charming and awkward Mm -hmm. and goofy but I also don't feel like this book works if it's longer. It doesn't. If, 
if it's any longer, you start to ask questions about the world that we're in. Mm -hmm. You start to ask questions about like Lily's personal life. Which she doesn't have because she doesn't need it on this page, right? Like what does her apartment look like? Doesn't seem like Lily has any friends. Seems like she's living for this job. Like there's a lot to be worried about for Lily. But does anyone have friends in this world? Like that's the thing. If this book gets longer, (laughs) we start asking more questions. I don't know if it can like, I don't know if this structure can stand up. Perhaps it can. I think it would take so much work. I think it would lose a substantial amount yeah. of its charm. Oh, yes, very much so. Like keeping like I don't know. I worry that sometime someday I'm going to fully change the entire reading list for this show to novellas. Because I just think novellas, especially with this kind of fantasy adjacent stuff, work so much better. They do so far in our reading experience fantasy novels in general that involve monsters are known for being like really long dense books but people don't really use the note like that's also what i think is remarkable about romance it's like that so many people use the novella form and it's pretty commonplace like christmas novellas come out every year and like holiday novellas and other genres aren't utilizing that space and like the New York Times wrote literally last summer like the death of the novella and I was like well clearly you're not reading romance because like novella's fine it's fine in this area I would say like I think maybe because fantasy is so reliant on world building and this is kind of we had this question with um the wolf novel we read right Mm -hmm. like I think sci-fi can kind of like poke at things that already exist in our current world to kind of supplement the world building and make it quippy, right? Like, you have a cell phone. This is an evil cell phone. <laughs> like, that's a terrible example. But, like, you know what I mean? Some, I'm sure some, like, hack is, is doing that um, in sci-fi novellas, right? But, like, fantasy, I think the fandom perhaps seems to demand more, like, rich world building, And so it's interesting to read something that has for sure, for sure, a fantasy element, like for sure, for sure, but is able to (laughs) lean on so much of like, like we have such vivid personal connections to office scenarios. Even if Mm -hmm. you've never worked in an office, you have a very particular Like, you have a clear view of what working in an office looks like. That, like, it's able to use contrast and metaphor to, like, obfuscate and build enough of, like, a shady explanation of what happened, of, like, how we got here. Mm -hmm. And then use those sharp moments of contrast, like, literal human sacrifices. There's an actual severance package if you're sacrificed. Like... That kind of thing to make quick work and satisfying work of world building. Mm -hmm. But also make a comment about the world that we currently live in. Right. But I mean, there is like a version of like there there are many versions of uh, all powerful lich lorddom with a hierarchy and like sniveling underlings and people terrified for their lives as well as their jobs like that's not 
you know, if you made this a castle instead of a high rise, right? You could make it Mount Dune and all the little orc creatures and goblins who are like, you know, like their <laughs> their lives are also equated with their jobs in fantasy dumb. And so it's almost, <laughs> I don't know if this book is like putting, like wrapping a fantasy story in beige carpet, industrial carpet, or if fantasy novels, if Mount Dune is covering beige industrial carpet with uh, a mountain, an evil mountain. I think it's interesting that you're envisioning, like, the witch king of Angmar, like, as a tyrannical boss over his orc horde. Um, but, yeah. Is like, he I not? See that. <laughs> I mean, he is. He's, he's the witch king of Angmar. is not only the number one Nazgul, but he's also terrorizing the orc horde. Um, and where this book, I think, does a really you know smart thing where it's like the witch king of angmar is very one-dimensional our lich is socially awkward and cares that he is socially awkward right like he needs his human assistant to help him just a little bit run those office meetings with his underlings that he both doesn't care about but like cares that he appear a certain way (laughs) Uh, which is charming and disarming well, this kind of gets to my weirdest part, which is another one of the things that I think is eerily true in this novel, is that we have this evil lich lord boss who does not actually care about his employees. And it's almost refreshing that that's literalized here. But it also, like, creates a person with depth, which, yes, you're awful boss is also a person with depth you know and you probably just don't know them outside of what they're doing corporate wise but also like he only comes to care about the one human who he like loves right romantically there's something about the book like I don't think the 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 joke is that like I don't I think the book is able to make like a lot of jokes about a lot of things but it it, like all of the other billionaire asshole romance novels, is ultimately like letting the billionaire asshole continue to be a billionaire asshole because he loves the main character we identify with. This is one of the rare times where I actually identified with a main character in this kind of book. And I would also say that made it more prescient to me that I was like, oh, it is it is a happily ever after. But it, it like nothing, like no larger systemic change has occurred. Now, does a romance novel need to have larger systemic change? No, but I think it like purports or tries to. And there's something about what this book does that makes it clear that there's a shortcoming in those kinds of conversations in romance. It it made me think about the other ones that I've read that have tried to do something, some mm-hmm. kind of maneuver like that. And mm-hmm. it also made me realize that 
mm-hmm. we are oftentimes satisfied with a human being who recognizes the humanity of one other person as opposed to like someone who has like true empathy sure i think this is such a good point to bring up because i do think the problem that I like correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the problems that I think that you're describing is that we forgive the billionaire asshole daddy because he finds feelings for one person. And this feels not unlike the parable <laughs> that youth pastors everywhere trigger warning tell you about like the beach <laughs> trigger warning, trigger warning. <laughs> youth pastors everywhere like about the beach full of starfish and, like, there's jesus throwing them back one at a time and they're like there's so many starfish on the beach like w- what difference are you making and then you know like your past i don't know what your youth pastor was like but mine said very earnestly it makes a difference to that one And I think when we're talking about a book that is so smart about systems, about systems of oppression, about systems of capital that are literally sucking the life force out of us, that to have an HEA where our main character is like, but he... He saved my personal shiver. Like, he didn't turn it into a potion for, like, the corporate board. It's just for us. It's like, (laughs) oh, bud, though. (laughs) Like, it's like you just. We can save more starfish. Yeah, we can save more starfish. And also, like, the fact that he's hoarding your shiver (laughs) when your shiver could have been used towards a purpose. Yeah. And I I think you're right. Like, people are like, (laughs) I saved that one. And there's also this thing where people are like, there is no ethical consumption. Which is true. Which is true. But I think a lot of people think that means, like, so we don't have to try. Like, we've just got to, like, chug through. You know, I understand that, like, you're not going to buy reusable straws. And I think that makes sense. But, like, the, the call to action there is to... Um, advocate and vote for people who are going to hold corporations who actually are causing our climate crisis rather than you with your plastic straws. Like, you've got to take steps to hold them accountable or at least attempt to. Right. Like, it's not you and your personal plastic straw, but it is our corporate overlords like Shell Petroleum you know it's like yeah they just bought like you know two tons of russian crude oil they are directly funding the murder of ukrainians and they're like whoops like it's not it's not us and our straws it's bigger than that and so then to forgive the corporate daddy feels like oh and unfortunately like your mini crisis when you get the plastic straw at the coffee Mm -hmm. shop instead of using a reusable straw, which will be alleviated by you not picking up that straw or buying a metal straw. Unfortunately, like the actual work is not going to be so simply a think like it's crazy to me that people (laughs) are willing to be like no ethical consumption. So I guess I get to have my plastic straw and move on. Like you're missing the point. Like there's, there is like a larger project you have to, to, it's a waste of energy to like put all of that anxiety into these like small personal choices. But unfortunately it's 
also going to take way more energy to put your whole chest into these larger. Exactly. There's no ethical consumption under capital, but there are more ethical consumptions under capital. And like, I would hate to say it because there are people who like literally cannot afford more ethical, more ethical air quotes um, because of how unethical it is. I would say. Right. The thing that you need to be concerned with is like who you're voting for and how you're holding your politicians accountable um, because they're the ones who actually have regulatory powers um, and how you're leveraging those. And like and it's also I like you voting one time is the equivalent of not using one plastic straw, but it takes like it takes so much energy. It just does. And it's every election and it's your local elections because you have way more power in your local elections than in your federal elections here in the States. Or more influence, direct influence. Right. And so like all of that is to say, yeah, that's a really weird part that this book kind of just like doesn't, it can't address. And like, (laughs) I don't know that it's like fair to hold it to that standard but yeah I also noticed it too that's like why we don't really read billionaire books on this podcast like neither of us are interested in that kind of apologia there's a moment at the end because I've decided spoilers are fine now there's a moment at the end where she has discovered her shiver is just in a storage cabinet and she feels betrayed as she should not for the reasons that I think she's uh you know not for the reasons I would feel betrayed, but, like, she's feeling betrayed for the reasons she's feeling betrayed. And she decides that, like, their relationship, which has become very sexual, is not, like, she needs an emotional connection, and he's not going to be able to give that to her. And so her accounting friend invites her to coffee as she's heading back to this, like, company meeting, and then literally the the floor of the office opens up into the gaping maw of hell and he falls into it and then it reseals and the lich is there. What I love about this is that it felt like a joke about how billionaire corporate daddies are like, listen, Stevenson, don't you ever look at her in the eye again? Right? Like (laughs) it's, (laughs) it's, very baroque it's like it's volume being turned up makes it funnier makes it funny and so this like self-awareness there like it, it's a joke about it but it's still used to the same ends that's the weirdest part is that we're making jokes about it but it's still getting me to the same place and this is one of those times when I really enjoyed a book and I like don't want to pay it because like the larger implications are like oh you like this stuff then like you too can enjoy this stuff and what does that you know it's not who I thought I was I guess I think the volume being turned up creates a sense of satire right and that means that I don't think you would like a straight billionaire romance um But there are plenty of people who do. Those books get written every day. And part of the fantasy of that is, you know, this massive resource, right? This person who has massive resources that are then, like, sort of focused in and, like, sniper rifled onto, you know, little old me. And (laughs) 
What's funny about this, as you say, when it's the volumes turned up, is that it does feel like a joke, except like the joke doesn't go anywhere. Like, well, it goes the, to the, the same joke, place the actual thing it's making fun of goes. Right. So then it's like it, there is no punchline, which is weird. Yeah. It's like a happily. That's why I feel like. I don't know. Maybe I would like maybe if those books were like a little bit wittier and like a little bit more subtle, the ones that I have read than the ones that I have experienced, like I probably would enjoy them because I got like tickled to death with the happily ever after here, which is the same kind of it's the exact same happily ever after that occurs in all of these books. And I wasn't like laughing at it at the happily ever after, you know in any way right like I felt like leading up to it I was laughing at this billionaire like me and the book were laughing at it together right and then at the end me and the book were just enjoying the happily ever after (laughs) the inevitable EGA at the end and I was like oh shit we didn't make that left turn after all yeah and in fact but it felt like a pretty big left turn for me when I realized it had happened it felt like a pretty big left turn. What was your weirdest part? I mean, just like everything that we've talked about, like once I discovered how like leaning on the mantle of billionaire romance as it was, even to like the the thing about like how do you ameliorate a power differential between an evil dark lord lich and his personal assistant oh you make him socially awkward you like make him bad at small talk Mm -hmm. and you make him weirdly earnest and that like she's the only one that understands that part of him like understands what's beneath the robe and i was like oh so it's literally and figuratively Literally and figuratively, which makes it zero different from any billionaire <laughs> novel I've ever read. Yeah. And I was like, once I, w- once I was there, I was like, oh, well, that's okay, I guess, you know? But, you know, those are like, <sighs> I don't know if that's the book's fault or if those were just my expectations. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to hold this book responsible for like the failures of capital. Yeah, right. And like this book is likewise a subject of late capital, just as we are. But I still feel like a need to like hold myself accountable, right? And so certainly I can hold Love Laugh Lich accountable or Laugh Love Lich. It's hard to tell. It's hard for me to remember. <laughs> Where does the laugh go? Love Laugh are we Lich. even laughing? First... It's got to be love. You got to start from love. Second, laughter. The seasoning of life. Finally, the lich. So that's how you remember it. Ow. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That'll Good. help you keep it together. What was your sexiest part? The sex scenes in the book, I feel, are very good. And one of the things that I think really works on this monster level is the first sex scene, which is prior to us seeing the lich outside of his cloak. And it's not even a sex scene. Um, It's the first scene of sacrifice when Lily offers up a sigh 
and she's not really sure how it's going to go. And she gets up. She's in her business cash, her biz cash, and she gets up on the marble slab and she starts to feel the magic kind of swirling. She closes her eyes and what commences is ASMR. And what's interesting is Lily is terribly curious about what's going on under that cloak because she's come to feel affection for the per- the lich's personality and she's naturally as a person who's interested in sex she um starts to feel tingles around thinking about what's underneath the cloak but also she's still fearful of it because it's still a monster right and so she feels like her hair and her face are eventually very very slowly touched by something that feels like suede and then she naturally sighs and uh um there's so many good ones but I really like that because I, I I thought it really plugged into what I think is interesting and captivating to someone like me about a monster romance which is the unfamiliar and the slightly frightening and it made it feel not just very sexy, but very romantic at the same time. And then it kind of, it's able to continue that thread through the rest of the lovemaking scenes. There's always something a little bit surprising. Yeah, I I think that's one of the strengths of this novella, right? Like this author is so good at upping the ante of the sacrificial slab um she's like in her like ann taylor loft business cash in the first scene she takes it off herself in the second scene and like puts herself on the slab and then realizes that there's like a full scale mirror above her that she like wasn't aware of the first time but then is like hyper aware of the second time but like is like uncomfortable and so she like keeps trying not to look at herself in the mirror which i was like hashtag relatable (laughs) Um, I'm like, there's candles everywhere and it smells good. And like the slab is cold and he's warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Like, you know, and then he's got three dicks that all do different things. Like, so good. Do you remember the sexiest sex scene? I mean, honestly, I liked, I liked them all. Although I will say the line that kind of sticks with me the most, because like after the ante is upped, the sex scenes like don't. They become kind of predict, mm-hmm. um, no less engaging, no less corporeal, no less like titillating. Just like they do the expected moves, um, but like the last one where she like grips his horns, I was like, all right. I was kind of like, once you told me that there were like four horns, <laughs> it was like, well, where like what are we doing? Why aren't we gripping them earlier? And that like that. Like, just the tactileness of the horns in her hands and, like, his weird lion slash bear face in her uh, labia. It was like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> uh, I, there is a line um, when they're having pillow talk or marble slab talk, as it were, after their first, like, real, real sex scene. And she kind of comes to and there's like that speaks to everything (laughs) everything that's difficult about heterosexual love 
um, because of its inherent inequality. And she says, I'll have to leave him to it in a little bit, I realize. I have to get dressed and go back out there and resume my work day. I may have up offered up my body to his dark bidding, but that's not very different from giving him my time and effort, day in and day out. And it's incredibly heavy because it's one person subjugating and, and not like, like subjugating isn't even it. It's like truly like giving your time and your life force to another person to make them comfortable, to make them happy to make the choices that help them realize what they envisioned for themselves. And I feel like this lich to personal assistant metaphor is especially apt because that's not necessarily reciprocated, especially in heteronormative relationships. I shouldn't just say heteronormative relationships where there's like an idea of a provider and a supporter. And even when like the literalization of who is this provider is flipped, the other person still has to be the supporter in a lot of cases. Yeah. Finding parody remains difficult. Uh, these two do not find parody. I had a vision where she like quit the, her job there at the end, um, and it doesn't do that, right? And nope, she's stuck on that marble slab. <laughs> well, we don't know. Maybe she quits her job. I don't think she does. I don't think she feels the need, and like I think that's also part of the like bummer. Yeah, like she works for him, and she, um, although he does literally yep. give her his heart, it in order to like create some kind of. It feels like he also has her heart and her paycheck. <laughs> he does. And all she's got is this philodactyl. But, you know, like, she she rescued that starfish. She taught him how to love. He rescued that starfish. He loves one human. He chooses not to kill her. He chooses not to kill her. <sighs> he values one life. Womance or nomance? Honestly, I thought it was quite funny. All of the problems that we've discussed are problems of billionaire romances in general. So, like, with that disclaimer, that's a romance for me. Uh, it was very funny. Best thing I've read in 2022. <laughs> there you go. So, it's a romance. Yeah. Uh, it's a romance for me. With that, loosen your stays, but never your principles. Woli guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R E I S C H M A double N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best. 
You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womans and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womanspodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.